0: Morning everyone, how are you? Peace the Lord be with you all. Let's open up in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, for your bible, for revealing yourself to us Lord Father in times past, In bits and pieces, through the patriarchs, through the prophets, through the kings. And Lord Father, now in these days, you've revealed yourself to us through your Son. Through his works, through his words, through his compassion, through his love, through his rebuking of the disciples, through his rebuking of the religious leaders, through the outstretching of his hand to heal but most of all, Lord Father, you reveal yourself to us through your son's death. You reveal your love, your righteousness, your holiness, and you reveal your peace that we can have with you through him. We pray in his name. Amen. Peace is a huge word, right? You know, there's like this endless verses in the Bible about peace, right? You can just grab a whole bunch of them, and you know, I can just grab some, I could just throw them out there, you know, tell you all to take your pick in whatever circumstance. You're going through, grab a verse, then you'll have peace. You know, if it's marriage problems or uh, trouble with the kids, or kids, if you have trouble with your parents, or financial issues, or at work, you know, just grab a verse, then, you know, you'll have peace, right? As long as you believe in God and trust in Jesus, you'll have peace in your life. But we all know that's not true, right? You know, if I start preaching that, somebody should come up here and yank me off, because that's not biblical. I remember when my mother, mother was developing dementia, And she knew that her mental capacity was fleeting. Every day, she'd be crying, why is this happening to me? She grew up, she believed in God, but she always said, why is this happening to me? Why is God doing this to me? You know, she just could not have, find peace in in this circumstance happening to her, you know, not understanding. So, we know that the biblical peace, that peace with God is so much bigger than these things. So much bigger than, as Jesus says, the peace that the world promises to us, and that's one of the main verses uh, that I want to use this morning. There's, um, I want to use that that verse that we're all familiar with, what Jesus says in John 14, "You know, I, I I leave you peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let your not your heart be troubled, and do not be afraid." And I want to kind of take a pull a preacher no-no and kind of take that out of context and use it elsewhere. Because we know Jesus is saying that in the upper room discourse to his disciples. He's talking about, he's leaving, but I will come again to receive it to myself. I'll send the Holy Spirit, you know, so I have peace. This is the peace I'm leaving with you. But I want to use that in the context of that the woman who came to Jesus, when he was in the Pharisee's house uh, dining, and she came and washed his feet with her tears, right, and wiped him with her hair. And, um, and anointed his feet. And we all know the verse. At the end, Jesus says to her, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I'm thinking, Jesus says to her, go in peace. Go with the peace that I give to you, that I leave with you, not as the world gives to you, uh, that I give to you. Woman, do not um, be troubled in your heart. And do not be afraid. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, so what is Jesus talking about? What is this fear that this woman would have had before she came to Jesus? Well, we get we get the idea. Uh, the answer is actually what Jesus says to her. When he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. So if we do the mathematics here, we see that um, a lack of peace with God is equal to sins not being forgiven and a lack of sin. We see that peace with God has everything to do with sins being forgiven and having faith. So I just want to open up my notes here. So it's interesting, you know, you know that, that's so relative when we think about Jesus when he started his ministry, right? This first thing he started preaching, right? Repent, believe in the gospel. Forgiveness, faith. All has to do, and this is the Prince of, Prince of Peace preaching this. So why does the absence, the absence of repentance, the absence of faith, bring forth a troubled heart? Why does it bring forth fear? What is this fear that Jesus is talking about? And I want to use an illustration. I want to call a couple of brothers up, uh, Dave and Dave. So help me uh, read this illustration from a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure many of you are have um, heard of it, have, have read it. If you haven't, The Pilgrim's uh, Progress. Let's just get some mics set up here. Thanks, brothers. Remember the, uh, I'm trying to remember that show. My, no, I'm Daryl, my brother Larry, my other brother Larry, my brother Dave, my other brother Dave. So, The Pilgrim's Progress is written by John Bunyan back in the, the mid-1600s. He was in prison for preaching in the streets, preaching in the field. And while he was in prison over the many years, he wrote a book in Pilgrim's Progress about a man named Christian, a f- fictional character named Christian, and his pilgrimage along Christianity. And he, he uses metaphorical uh, uh, events and people to describe the Christian walk. So here, uh, this part, we have Christian has abandoned the, the city of destruction, left his wife and kids. Uh, he 's gone uh, through the gate and he 's met evangelist and man, evangelist has led him to a home the home of the interpreter so So here we have a Christian played by Dave um, in the home of the interpreter and the interpreter is showing him scenes, things are going on in his house, and he 's interpreting them to him.
1: Now let me go ahead
0: i 'm missing a page sorry. <laughs>
1: Here it is. Start again. Now let me go ahead. Okay.
0: Uh, Nay, still I have, uh, stay till I have showed thee a little more, and after thou shalt go on thy way. So he took him by the hand again and led him into a very dark room where there sat a man in an iron cage. Now the man to look on uh, seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down on the ground, his hands folded together, and he sighed as if uh, he would break his heart.
1: What means this?
0: At which the interpreter bid him talk with the man.
1: What art thou?
0: I am what
2: I was not
1: once. What wast thou once? I was a fair
2: and flourishing professor,
1: both in my own eyes and the eyes of the others. I once was, as I thought,
2: fair for that celestial city, and had then now joy at the thoughts that I should get thither.
1: Well, but what art thou now?
2: I'm a man of despair.
1: I'm shut up in this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, no, I cannot. But how camest thou into this condition? I left off to watch and be sober. I laid the reins
2: on the neck of my lust. I sinned against the light of the world, yeah. the goodness of God. I grieved the spirit. He's gone. I tempted the devil. He's come to me. I have provoked God to anger. He's left me. I've so hardened my heart. I cannot can. repent.
1: But is there no hope for such a man as this?
0: Am I, am I missing? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, ask him
1: Is there no hope, but you must be kept in the, in the iron cage of despair?
2: No, oh, okay. none at all.
1: Why, the son of the blessed is very pitiful.
2: Ah, I have crucified him to myself afresh. I've despised his person. I've despised his righteousness. I've counted his blood on unholy things. Mm. I've done despite to the spirit of grace. I've shut myself out of the promises and now remains for me nothing but threatenings, dreadful threatenings, faithful threatenings of a certain judgment, fiery indignation, which shall devour me as an adversary.
1: For what did you bring yourself into this condition? <coughs> For the lusts and the pleasures and the profits of this world. The enjoyment
0: which I had
2: promised myself with much delight. But now every one of these things bites me. And they know me like burning again. Like a worm burning me.
1: But canst thou not now repent and turn? God has denied me
2: repentance. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. Yes, he has shot me in this iron cage. Nor can all the men in this world let me out. Oh, eternity, eternity, how shall I grapple with the misery that I must meet with in eternity?
0: Then said the interpreter to Christian, uh, Let this man's misery be remembered by thee, and be an everlasting caution to thee.
1: Well, this is fearful. God help me to watch and to see and to be sober, and to pray that I I may shun the cause of this man's misery. Sir, is it not time for me to go on my way now?
0: Carry till I show thee one one thing more, and then thou shalt go on thy way. So he took Christian by the hand again and led him to a chamber where there was one rising out of bed. And as he put on his clothes, he shook and trembled.
1: Why does this man thus tremble?
0: The interpreter then bid him to tell tell Christian the reason of so doing.
2: This night, as I was in my sleep, I dreamed, behold, the heavens grew exceedingly black. They thundered and frightened in a most fearful. wise it put me in agony? And so, so I looked in my dreams. And I saw the clouds move at an unusual rate. And I heard the sound of a great trumpet. And I saw a man sitting on a cloud, attending to thousands in heaven. They were flaming in fire like The heavens were in a burning flame, and I heard a voice saying, "Arise, ye dead, and come to judgment." And with that, some of the rocks rent, the graves opened, the dead that were come therein came forth. Some were exceeding glad; some looked upward, and some sought to hide themselves under the mountains. And then I saw the man that sat upon the cloud open the book, and he bid the world to draw near. Yet there was, by reason of a fierce flame that issued out, came from me for him, a covenant, convenient distance between him and them, as between a judge and prisoners. And I heard it proclaimed to them that attended on the man that sat on the cloud Gather together the tares, the chaff, the stumble, cast them into the burning lake. And with that, the bottom was pit opened, and as I stood at the mouth of which it came, in abundant manner smoke, coals of fire, with hideous void noises. And it was said to those same persons, Gather my weeds into my garner. And with that I saw many catched up and carried away into the clouds. But I was left behind. And I, I sought to hide myself, but I could not. For the man that sat on the clouds still kept his eye upon me. And my sins came to my mind. And my conscience had accused me on every side. And upon this
1: I awakened from my sleep. But what was it that made you so afraid of this sight?
2: Well, I, I thought that the day of judgment had actually come. And I was
1: not ready for it.
2: And this frightened me the most. The angels had gathered up several and left me behind. in that pit of hell that opened her mouth just where I stood. My conscience afflicted me. And as I thought, the judge always had his eye on me, showing indignation in his countenance.
0: Then said the interpreted Christian, has thou considered all these things?
1: Yes, and they put me in hope and fear.
0: Well, keep all things uh, in thy mind, that they may be as good in thy sight to prick thee forward in thy way, uh, in the way they must go. And we'll end it there. Thanks, brothers. Dave asked me, are we going to dramatize it? And I said, no. Thank you very much, Dave. But you you get the picture, right? So we're talking about peace. We're talking about the lack of peace. And so, so from these two illustrations, we see the one—the one man who was on his way to to the celestial city. He was—he, you know, he thought he was on his way. He thought he believed, but he gave it all up, right? It reminds us of of, uh, Hebrews chapter ten, right—the one who is believing, but then purposely continues to sin. Right, there's no there's no repentance left for him. He he's trampled the Son of God under foot. He he's counted the blood of the covenant by which we are sanctified a common thing, and, and he's insulted the spirit of grace. So now he's in this iron cage, right? Tormented. The opposite of peace, he's tormented, he's afraid, he's troubled heart. And the second man who, 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 who had this dream about the, end, about the end times, about judgment, right? We recognize this Revelation 20, when God calls all the living and the dead to, to judgment. And this man had this dream, and he woke up, and he knew he was not right with God. He did not have peace with God. They are under the wrath of God. It was, when I was preparing this sermon, I was, um, I was thinking, is this the direction I want to go? Do I want to talk about the wrath of God? Do I want to talk about judgment? But then this morning, the breaking of bread, one of the elders got up and read from Psalm 85, and it's, you know, it's right in there. Talking about peace with God. Talking about the wrath of God. Talking about the anger of God. Talking about forgiveness. And I'm thinking, I'm on the right track. Because, you know, the, you know I was at a funeral about a month ago, and, um, one of the songs sang during, during the service was Amazing Grace. But they changed one of the words in there. Some of you might be familiar with this, right? The, the girl started singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a soul, she said. Soul. That, she's missing the key word. The key word in there is wretch. You know, if you understand who wrote, the, the, who wrote that song and who he was. Right, this is Paul in, in Romans 7, right? Oh wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And he cries this out after he, after he, uh, after all his efforts, after, you know, doing what he knows what is right, what he wills to do, but he can't do it. He finds that he's still sinning. He finds that evil is still present. That still, sin still indwells. And he cries out, Oh wretched man that I am. Like Paul writes in Romans 3 that um, all who have suppressed the truth of God by their wickedness, the wrath of God is revealed against them from heaven. What is the wrath of God? I think the first thing we must, we must say is the wrath of God is not just God losing his temper. The wrath of God is God's determined it determines reaction to all that opposes him, that dishonors him, that rejects him, that hates him, that rejects his son, that rejects his kingdom, and that rejects his son. The wrath of God, I would say, is not his nature. It's arguable, some people argue that, you know, is, is the wrath of God an attribute of God? All I know is you can't say that God is anger in the same way that the Apostle Paul says, Apostle John says that God is love. His wrath is His response to an unrighteous people, people He made in His image, people He made to have eternal fellowship with Him. You know, we think of Isaiah chapter one where God says, "Hear me, you heavens; listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken." I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Then Isaiah 65, all day long have held out my hand to, a, to a stubborn people who walked in the ways not good, pursuing their own imagination, people who continually provoke me to my face. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day long. You know there are over 600 passages in the Old Testament Testament about the wrath of God. We, you know, in the New Testament, we talk about, we read about Jesus getting angry, angry with with the religious leaders, always trying to test him, always, you know, trying to find fault with him, and Jesus gets angry with them. You know, there's nothing that keeps sinful people out of hell but the grace of God, right? His sovereignty. His love for us. One preacher taught, gave the illustration that God's standing there with one hand up, holding back His wrath, and with the other hand, He's reaching out to sinful people. But the day is coming when God's going to drop His hands. And those who reject Him, those who hate Him, will suffer the wrath of God. Justice. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. But the day will hasten when God will no longer stretch out his hand and be merciful and hold back his wrath. Peter writes, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held in judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought brought forth the flood, on ungodly people, if he condemned the cities of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what he's going to do to the ungodly, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Now, so that's just, you know, that's just touching, right? Brief description of the wrath of God, haven't even really got into judgment, haven't gone to hell, and you know, a, you know we, we could do so easily, right? We all, all of us here believe it. The judgment is coming. That hell is coming. And that it's, that it's true. And, it, and it's a terrifying thing. But as he said in the beginning, peace with God. The woman had peace with God because her sins were forgiven. Because she had faith. So, so we, we, let's talk, talk about faith here. What does it mean um, to, to have faith? To have peace with God because we have faith. And I gave this illustration before about um, the, the old Scottish law that when a prisoner was going to be, uh, the morning that the prisoner was brought to be executed, that they were hanging a sign on the prison cell, right? You guys remember this? And it said, on this day so-and-so was, remember the word? Thank you, Thank you. justified, somebody remembered. Right? And that's the, like the legal term. The, the payment was paid. The punishment was out, carried out. Right? The wages are no longer against them because it was paid. But then there's the other uh, illustration of, of, of justification where in the Old Testament in the Old Testament times they would take a river reed because it was very straight and they'd use it as a measuring tool. It was the standard. The just, they called it. It was the just that they would use to see if things are very straight. It was the standard. So we see... We, that's why Paul calls God the Just. He's the standard. His character, his holiness, is the standard for righteousness. God is the Just, and He is the Justifier. So we think of um, this morning. Phil read from uh, Romans, Romans 5, chapter one, and I'm going to read it, read the verses one and two, in the light of the woman who came to Jesus. Therefore, since she has been justified through faith, she has peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom she has gained access by faith and into this grace, which she now stands, and she boasts in the hope of the glory of God. So you think of who she was before, and now she, you know, she ha- has this peace with God, standing, standing in faith and hope. My time is fleeting. I not have to speed up here. To talk about faith, let's talk about forgiveness, repentance. Think about Jesus in the garden. Something fascinating he said. He said, um, this is your hour and the power, of the, the power of darkness. The hour that darkness will reign. Think of the book, think of, the book of Job when, when God gave Satan authority to strike Job, right? To strike everything he owned but not to lay a finger on him. But now with his own son, God gives Satan the authority to do his worst. Here we have the shepherd himself walking through the darkest valley, walking through the valley of darkness, and God is not with him. There's no rod and there's no staff. For a time, God has delivered him into the, the hands of darkness. And for a time, God will not deliver him. Isaiah says that, that uh, he um, he's led like a lamb to the slaughter. and Like a sheep before the shear, he did not cry out. I think in the garden, he did, not, he did not cry out, Peter, John, James, why are you scattered? Why have you left me? You know, Before the Sanhedrin, he didn't say, Caiaphas, Annas, why, why are you falsely accusing me? Why are you blindfolding me and striking me and pulling out my beard? In the Praetorium, he didn't cry out, Pilate, um, Pilate, why? Roman soldiers, why? Why are you scourging me? Why are you mocking me, putting a crown of thorns on me and arraying me in purple and striking me on the head with the reed? Why are you crucifying me? He did not say those things. But when he was on the cross and the sky was darkened, then he cried out. It wasn't a whisper. It wasn't just a little utterance. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry, forsaken, abandoned, left alone. The I, I am forsaken, the son of the most high. The Eli, God, God, you have forsaken me. The most high has forsaken the son of the most high. The why. My God, my God, I am forsaken. Why? I hope you're thinking of yourself, because I am. He is forsaken so that our sins may be forgiven. He is forsaken so that those who believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He was forsaken by the Father, that we may have peace with God. There's so much more to say. Um, In the book, we believe that we're going through, it talks about peace with God. and also talks about peace with other people and peace with ourselves. And that that word forgiveness is the key word for everything. Peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. Forgiveness. I want to just share two quick stories with you to to show you the power of unforgiveness and the power of forgiveness. Um, Down in the States quite a few years ago, there was a man named Ron... He, he was dating a, a girl, named, girl named Amy, and one summer, Amy went away uh, on a vacation, on a cruise with her parents. And while she was away, Ron's father died. So she contacted Amy and asked her, pleaded with her to come back to be with him, you know, during this hard time, during the funeral and stuff. And she said no, for whatever reasons, it, um, I don't know, the inconvenience of being on a cruise or whatnot. Anyways, a few years later, they got married. They had a child. He was working steady days. She was working steady nights. One morning, he got up and went to work. He, she woke up later because she worked afternoon shift. Went to check on the baby, who was about six months old, and the baby was dead, had suffocated. The doctors thought it was SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. But a few days after the funeral, the, fa- the truth came out. The father had planned it from the very day that she refused to come back. He would not forgive her for what she did. And that anger and that, that uh, unforgiveness built up in him for so long that that one night he suffocated his own son just to pay her back. The power of unforgiveness. The second story has to do with Corrie ten Boom. A lot of you know her. She was the, the Dutch um, missionary who, who who escaped the prison camp World War II and went around preaching forgiveness. And then one of hers, uh, after one of her sermons, somewhere in Europe, a man approached her. And he introduced himself as the very um, head guard of the concentration camp that she was at. Her father died there. Her sister died there. Many of your friends. It was horrible conditions. And here is the man who was responsible for all this. And now he's standing in front of her, a Christian, holding out his hand. Asking for forgiveness. She said she froze. She said, I just preached on this, all these people to, about forgiveness, about forgiveness towards the Nazis and what they did. And here I am now in this very circumstance I'm preaching at. And I'm frozen. But she said, but the love of God just flowed over her. And she, just everything she preached just filled her heart. And she reached out her hand and she said, I forgive you, brother. Peace with God, peace with others, peace with yourself, forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness. The peace in the world doesn't preach that inner peace and all the things we talk about. It's all about forgiveness, about letting things go, and about trusting in God, and trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Father, thank you for forgiving us of our sins. For in those days, as Paul would tell his Ephesians uh, Ephesians brothers, that in the days past, we're all under the wrath of God because of our sin, because of rejection of you. Oh, Lord, Father, you know us personally. You know all the things in our lives that we have done against you. Sometimes we wonder, Father, how could you forgive us? How could you forgive me for that? But it's what separates you from us, Father. You are so far beyond us, so far. Jesus said, forgive others. In his prayer, Jesus said, Father, forgive us as we forgive others. And Lord, Father, how could we expect to be forgiven more than we are willing to forgive others? So, Father, we pray, help us to forgive And help us to repent and help us to have peace with you, with others, and with ourselves. In your son's name. There's another song that the praise group is going to come up and sing.